Welcome to episode two of Success and Suffering, searching for significance and finding meaning in times of pain. This podcast is in serial format and can act as an audiobook of sorts. If you are listening for the first time, be sure to listen to episode one of the podcast. It's short, so it should be easy. Quick review. I wrote this short book after being told I had a life-changing tumor, and my intention is not to understand what you've been through completely, but help you feel you are not alone and point you to Jesus. So, with that in mind, let's get started. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Matthew 6, 25-34 Chapter 2, The Pursuit of Significance I've always been a significant seeker, and I always felt I was meant to do something more important with my life. Lots of people feel this way, I think. That's why they pursue acting, singing, or, or being the CEO of a company. Maybe they invent a technology or a medicine that changes the world, or... They will be an author or fly to space. Maybe they will even be a, the MVP of a pro team and be admired all over the world. I don't know why you would want this, but some people imagine themselves as the President of the United States. Whatever it is, we have bought into the narrative that claims that if we achieve, we will have the life we always dreamed of. The spouse, the 2.5 kids, the houses in a couple states, and not having to work real hard for them. The life that we've been working so hard to achieve will not satisfy us. I was not good at sports. I knew that because I tried. They usually picked me last or I didn't know what I was doing. One time in seventh grade I made the middle school basketball team. My guess is they probably needed more players. I was sitting on the bench where I normally sat as my mind wandered about how I would dunk when I had the chance. I was short and couldn't dunk. In fact, I'm still short, and I still can't dunk. We were winning, and it was the fourth period. We had like two minutes left, and I heard the coach say, Webb, go on in. I was surprised and very excited to show the crowd of parents and cheerleaders and the coach what they had been benching. The ball was passed, and then I stole it. Yes. Now that I had it, I would dribble down the court, and I would fantastically make that layup that I've been practicing. I ran. No one was even close to me as I was so fast. I laid it up and it went in. All that practice had paid off. I looked at the crowd, the team, the coach. I'd shot it in the wrong goal. 
The buzzer went off, and I sank as I realized what had happened. Everybody was telling me I was going the wrong way, but my focus was on pursuing glory. And again Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who has gave a wedding feast for his son, and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited. See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry. He sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned the city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went onto the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Matthew 22, 1-14 Everything we need to know is in the Bible. Known Jesus since I was 13, I still ran the ball to the wrong goal, even though the Bible is screaming at me to go the other way. This life is not about work or even passion. It's about living how Jesus did, completely dependent on God the Father for everything we need and being connected to him enough to make a move when he is saying it. Am I saying we should have no ambition? No. I'm writing this on a MacBook on a porch that hardworking people built and living because a brain surgeon went to school and learned a bunch of stuff. What I am saying is that ambition when not guided by the Spirit of God, which takes the Bible, prayer, and connection to the church, will lead you inevitably serving yourself, which is the wrong goal. About the same time I realized I could sing when my friends tried to be boys to men on the side of the road one day. Boys to men were... never mind. If you know, then you know. I was actually good. Makes sense. I come from a musical family where both my parents could sing and my dad could play guitar. I finally found my thing. I sang in school and learned how to play guitar. By seventh grade, my friend Jeremy and I won the talent show by singing Teenager in Love a cappella. Small note, I was introduced to the previous year's winner, Christy. She would grow up to be my wife. Okay, back to it. That same friend invited me to church that year. I didn't want to go but went with him and stayed for the girls. That summer was the first time I heard that Jesus was more than just my spiritual friend that keeps my parents from killing me when I did something bad. It went from my brain to my heart that I needed a savior to cover me from the impossible task of trying to be good. He was it. I prayed in my bunk at camp that Jesus would be my savior and committed to following him right there. My drama teacher scooped me up and I was the first freshman to play Elvis in the Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I found myself with friends that had the same values as me and we started a band. Christy and I played opposite each other throughout high school. I was Danny, she was Sandy, I was Nathan, she was Miss Adelaide and Guys and Dolls, and so on.
I always had a girlfriend and realized early that playing guitar and singing and being a lead in the plays would bring the girls. I went from one to the other. They started impressed, but then saw me and were less enchanted. I usually saw the signs and broke up with them and moved on to another. Growing up, I somehow believed that people loved my performance and not the real me. I was only as good as the last thing I did, and that stuck. I used relationships to measure my worth, and because I wasn't getting married, I wasn't worth a lot. I didn't do that well in school. I barely graduated and didn't have a plan for college. I had a knack for websites and honed my skill in interactive design, which had just come into its own in the last few years. I became very good explaining the story of why I didn't go to college. The industry was changing so much, what could they teach me? The truth is that I convinced myself that I was more talented than book smart, and so I saw education as something to overcome rather than use to my advantage. I got a job at a bus company that bought me every book I could ask for, and a transform from the music guy into the marketing guy. Still not Josh, but a new talent I could hide behind. I worked at the bus company for a couple of years and married my last and final girlfriend, Christy, the only one who didn't care if I could sing because she could too. She loved me for me and she was a good one that I needed to claim before somebody else did. We moved to Atlanta after I was let go from my job because of the effects of 9-11. We felt what it was like to be poor for a little while when I got an interview at an ad agency. The interview went well and they asked me to do a quick test, which I nailed, and I was in. I got to work for big brands like IBM, National Geographic, Royal Caribbean, on cool interactive websites. I got to use my talents and I got paid fairly for it. I loved it. I moved up the ladder until I became art director there. The projects got bigger and the risk had more at stake. I remember we had just launched this project for UPS in partnership with the Martin Agency. It was a huge campaign that involved the Super Bowl commercial. We did the interactive and I was the art director. We threw a big party. The star showed up and the agency president gave me the microphone and said, it's your show. I made a couple of jokes, people laughed, and I thanked everybody. I posed for some photos and felt at that moment like I had made it. As with most things, there were more projects. We had our first child, Ethan. I got promoted to more difficult clients. I did not become the creative director I always dreamed of and did not make that campaign that they teach about in ad schools. I became dissatisfied, more empty than ever, and started looking for something more meaningful. As for that agency, it shut down after 25 years and the owner lives in LA. Looking back, I was always longing for significance because I was fearful. I wasn't the kind that says, I matter because I sing, play, shoot, or impress. Most of us are, even if we say we don't care. We are created to worship, and most of us want to be ourselves. Because if we don't, then who are we? Of course, we don't admit it, but that is what we want to see. We, ourselves, lifted high with everyone admiring how great, achieving, or even good we are. That is why we pursue idols like careers, fame, and even relationships in order to fill the hole that's in our heart. In the Garden of Eden, the snake tells Eve that if she eats the apple, that she will be like God. We still make that same mistake, trying to achieve our way to the top so we can be like God. But we fall tremendously short and just end up collecting things and telling other people how we did it. We idolize people that seem to have achieved them, not knowing what their lives are. When we achieve it, it's amazing for a second and then leaves us empty and disappointed. The only thing that can fill our void is Jesus Christ himself. He knows the real you and loves the real you. But that means we have to die to ourselves, something that is very hard to do, and he knows it. So I want to take a second and talk about ambition. Um, 
I'm full of ambition. Um, a matter of fact, I love people that are full of ambition. Um, and I think people that tell you that it's, it's a bad thing are, are really trying to cover up for the fact that they don't believe they can do it themselves. Um, and so I have this love-hate relationship with it. Um, on one end, I want to achieve myself. Um, I'm an advertising guy that works with a lot of startup founders. And um, seeing them believe that they can make a difference or that they can actually solve a problem is actually really inspiring. And, um, and I'm, I've, I've really dedicated a lot of my life to helping people do that. I think the, the, the rub comes when we start to make it our identity. When we start to believe that not the not the the thing of I'm never gonna give up. Um, I saw a thing with Elon Musk um, the other day where you know he had failed like three times in a row, but he kept getting up. It's it's that Captain America, I can do this all day um, kind of thing, and and that's good, and I think that's what it takes. But when we start to believe that all we are is a person that gets up and up, and that we can do it ourselves. That's when we, we kind of buy into a lie, I believe. And I, I believe that I, I did buy into the lie, and I'm working every day to depend on Jesus to stop that lie from have, happening because it's so prevalent in our Western society. There's a guy here in Atlanta that I kind of idolize. I would face uh, Facebook stalk him or, or stalk him on Instagram. Uh, it's not as bad as it sounds. I just paid attention to what he did a lot. And he did a lot of things really smart. And he made a lot of money, millions of dollars. And, um, you know, when I would see his Instagram, I would see things like him going to, uh, you know, Aspen or his, you know, his place in Jackson Hole or, you know, the um, all the exotic places they were flying to. And I even wanted to say to myself, um, you know, that's an edited version. That's probably not real. And that's that's somewhat true. I'm sure they had fights. But um, I've met the guy several times. He's super nice and um, and knows that. As a matter of fact, he would even tell me that. Um, but the, the difference is, is when you when I start to look at those things and I start envisioning my future, like that's the part that's important um, is achieving those things. Or even when I say our family living our best life, YOLO. And I don't include the fact that that God may want something different than to, for us to just be rich or healthy or wealthy or whatever it is. He may actually want us um, to be to be poor. He he says throughout the Bible that it's 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 almost impossible. It's easier for a rich man to go through an eye of a needle. Well, why would he say that? Um, I'm a huge fan of of Tim Keller, and uh, one of the things he said is that it, you know. We know when we're committing adultery, but it's really hard to tell when you love money. And I don't think I loved the actual money. I think I loved the the idea of the life that money could give me. And, and so I pursued it. Um, and what I really was after was people to admire me. Um, something to say that, wow, that guy did it and... and I admire him for it, and he's he's significant. I wasn't after money itself, but there were effects from it. Um, you know, it, it left me liking liking the feeling of being in charge so much that it was sometimes hard to to collaborate. It left me um, pl- 
planning for money because I would go to somebody else's house and they would have this huge house and and they would say something about their nest egg or something and I would go, oh no, I'm falling behind. And I would get kind of worried and obsessed at the same time. People often ask me um, what this experience has taught me. And I would love to say that it's just taught me um, that that money is not the answer and that we're pursuing the wrong thing. And that's probably the main thing it's taught me. But I think the biggest thing is that it showed me how weak I am. And the fact that I can't just say that that's not important. I can know that's not important and it still seeps in. Um, I can know that that impressing somebody doesn't really do for them uh, what I think it does. It doesn't do anything in the long run. And yet I still try to impress them. It's so innately built into me. I can't, it's like hard to get away from it. It's almost impossible. And what's awesome is that I don't think that, that you have to go through an experience like this um, to start pursuing those things. Um, I, I believe that God changes you over time. He sanctifies you. He makes you into kind of the person that accepts his grace and then continues to accept his grace until you just are living the way he does. It's completely dependent on God. So um, that's, that's what this chapter is about. It's about my relentless pursuit for ambition. I only read about this this um, a little bit. I had, I mean, I keep a, a notebook full of ideas. And should you? Sure. But it might as well be written my notebook of um, significance. Um, because there are a lot of things in there that, that really I would only pursue if I thought it was worth it. If, if I thought it was a... Um, the something that would that would um, make me feel important, and none of them did, and not because they didn't work out, because some of them did, um, but more like when they worked out, it didn't give me the impression or the satisfaction I was looking for. So that's it. I hope you will return for the next episode where we talk about what it starts to look like when I look towards good as that way of getting significance and what it did. This episode has been brought to you by Helping One Guy. Helping One Guy is an honoring dinner thrown for a man who is going through a life-changing crisis. When I had mine, I didn't know what to expect. What I experienced was people giving me something I didn't deserve and that I couldn't repay. This service emulates the gospel of Jesus Christ in so many ways. Please become a monthly donor and help someone who is going through a crisis at helpingoneguy.org. Be sure to download the next episode of Success and Suffering by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts.